This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, and welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Laura from AJ Bell, and with me is Dan from Shares. Hi. So this week, we're going to talk about how £78 a month could make you a millionaire the comedy excuses that companies are giving for poor results and whether you should take your tax-free pension cash now or wait until later. So Tom Selby from AJ Bell is here with us this week. Hello. But firstly, let's look at the markets. So Dan, what's been happening? Well, we've had the first chance to look at results from Investment Trust Smithson. So for those who don't know this product, um, there's a really big asset manager called Fundsmith and um, it's incredibly popular with investors over the last few years. So they launched a investment trust um, last October and it was the biggest ever investment trust launch with, um, and they got £822 million. So they've gone off and invested most of that cash into the market now and they've said between the flow to 19th of October and the end of 2018, um, the the value of their assets they fell by five point eight percent, but actually the share price didn't move at all. Um, but that's because people were prepared to pay more than the value of the assets to own those shares. So I think it's kind of early days to judge this, and you have to take it in the context of the last quarter of twenty eighteen was very difficult for the market. So um, it's really interesting that they're managing to sort of hold their own share price wise. But actually, start of twenty nineteen, the shares have had a really good rally, and they're up now eleven percent on the IPO. So I think if you if you took part in that float, 11% since October. I guess it was an interesting time for them to be investing all of that money. So you, in a in an investment trust IPO, you raise all that money and then you have to, you have it as cash almost, don't you? And you yeah. have to invest it. And so towards the end of last year, I guess, because markets fell a bit, there were some bargains to be had maybe. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, people sort of question the timing. Were they being too brave because they were, they were launching at a time when markets are really troubled? But, um, you know, yeah, I'm sure that they could have... Be- bought something that, you know, a, a quite a decent price and not everything has bounced back since that troubled time uh, in the fourth quarter. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, in hindsight, we could look back in a couple of years and say that was actually a perfect time to float the market. So is it trading at a premium at the moment? So yeah, it's trading at, I think it's been trading at a premium for a while. So this is, this, this is people are so um, willing to to buy the shares uh, for more than the value of the assets because they, they have faith in the asset manager um, having a proven investment process and they hope that Smithson's just going to follow the same as the Fundsmith Equity Fund as well has done. Um, so elsewhere in the markets, we're kind of in the in the middle of corporate reporting season. So here, investors are kind of looking to see um, what companies are doing in terms of are they hitting or missing earnings expectations. And one of the big themes I'm sort of drawing from the current batch of results is that there's there's definitely some growth challenges. And I think this links to um, there's lots of concerns about slowdown in global economic growth and therefore companies themselves are, are being a bit more cautious about seeing um, how much growth in their earnings could be this year and potentially into 2020. So we've had um, Abcom, which is a life science research tools expert. They, they were sort of talking about troubles in Japan. Um, Roadtalk, the engineers, talking about slow slowdown due to macroeconomic uncertainty. Um, and the big 
construction rental company, Ashted. It's had really good results, but I think the market's certainly concerned about the sustainability of growth. And and the, the one that's really struck me uh, as a real howler was Revolution Bars. And it's had yet another profit warning. So this is a smaller company that owns um, the Revolution chain of cocktail bars. So so Tom and Laura, I'm sure you know them. Uh, the so back I'm of getting your hand. flashbacks to my university days. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm vaguely familiar with the work, but not for, not for a long time, I've got to say. <laughs> so they, they came onto the market uh, know, a few years ago and they talk about making their sites look smart and um, wanting people to come in during the day for food and they have loads of cocktails in the evening but it is it is a uh, I don't know it questions whether this is a broken business model they've been through a CEO change already the business had a revamp it hasn't worked so that, you know shareholders are uh, suffering hard here but one of the standout thing for me is what the company's been uh, blaming its problems on. Oh wait, um, is it is it weather or is it Brexit? Because that seems to be what every company is blaming yeah. their profits it's, on. It's way better than that. So what I think in my job, one of the the my most enjoyable things is to look for excuses that companies come out with for their earnings forecast. I think you should really get out more. To yeah, be honest. yeah, I definitely should. Yeah. So um, Revolution Bars has partially blamed its profit warning on Valentine's Day not coinciding with Wednesday student events. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's just remarkable, isn't it? So, um, the idea that you, you, I think it's ridiculous, you, you, you need the 14th of February to fall on a Wednesday in order to have earnings. But, you know, when you, you, know, you, don't, need, you don't need Valentine's Day to be a Wednesday to want to take someone out on a hot date, do you? <laughs> if you're taking someone out on a hot date to Revolution, I'm not sure well, that I mean, relationship's going to last, I mean, is I think it? only students are going to be taking someone on a hot date to Revolution, aren't they? Yes, that's the thing. <laughs> so wait, they can use that excuse. I can't work out the leap year factor in this, but they can use that excuse <laughs> yeah, okay. for, you know, six out of seven years. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it, I, was say, I, I, do, I do get a chuckle from them. I guess if you're, if you're a shareholder, you may not, may not laugh, but as, as an a impartial bystander, um, I, I know... I do look for these sort of things and yeah you're right we, we train companies talk about it's you know leaves on the line or uh, stuff like that but it's there are some amazing excuses so we, previous on a previous podcast we've talked about a sandwich maker blaming shortfall of earnings on the pope visiting the east coast of america uh, but, so i've gone through the archives to find a few more goodies. i feel like you should write a book on this yeah, one day i'll get there soon i just need enough examples but uh, so one of my favorites is premier foods so you, you probably know this company because it's all the stuff that's sitting in the back of your cupboard and uh, so it's angel delights i know laura you love angel delight i quite? actually do love angel delight and i have some in my cupboard butterscotch or strawberry uh, butterscotch don't like strawberry flavored things as all podcast fans will know <laughs> but i think so they, they do stuff like smash oxo and um sort of bisto so th- a few years ago they were blaming the hot weather for hurting gravy sales and i think that's ridiculous so i, I don't care whether it's boiling hot freezing cold i want gravy on my sunday dinner and i refuse to believe that anyone else thinks differently. <laughs> uh, i think slightly different i don't want gravy in the summer I, I, I th- I, I'm a foul I, I weather to, gravy say, fan. As, as a northerner, I'm a massive gravy fan. But I think if you're talking 30 degrees and sunny outside, I'm le- it's on. <laughs> my dad's going to disown me, but I'm less likely to buy some Oxo. Dan I had think. some gravy on his pancakes yeah. last night. Yeah, yeah. So I heard. No way. No, I made that up. Oh, <laughs> lost it no love gravy if there's no chocolate sauce available gravy on ice cream yes you know that sort of thing it looks so, similar yeah so this is this you know premier foods 
what, uh, off the back of that, I did notice a few years ago that they struck a deal to launch Cadbury uh, branded cakes in the Middle East. And I wondered, did, did they know that it's quite hot over there and chocolate can melt? So I, I haven't seen them given excuses for that one yet, but it's one to watch. Um, and I think just another example is AO World, so the, the, the sort of fridge retailer. Um, a few years ago, it was it was saying, "Oh, you know, we've got really tough figures to beat." Because a year earlier, there were they, we had so much publicity off the when we floated on the stock market, um, our sales went through the roof, and it was really difficult to repeat it. And and all the analysts <laughs> were going, "That's just absolute rubbish." So, um, <laughs> but you, you can see, you know, if, if so, if, if any if any of our listeners have come up with some or heard some really good excuses, we'd love to hear from mm. you. So. Um, so elsewhere, we've got to talk about how we can become ISA millionaires. So by the age of 65. So Laura, tell me, how much do I need to save and how quickly can I be mega rich? How much you need to save depends on your age. And I couldn't possibly ask you how old you are, Dan. But um, if you're 22... It's near, near. Yeah, I can imagine. Give or take, yeah. Um, then you can put away £78 a month and you will end up with more than a million pounds when you reach 65. Wow. Um it, obviously, the amount ratchets up the later you start to save. So if you start to save at 30, not not possibly saying that you are 30, Dan, uh, then you need to put away £174 a month. Um, and if you wait to start until you're 37, then you need to put away £377 a month. So... Um, this relies on you using the lifetime ISA government bonus. So this is the newer ISA um, where you get a 25% government bonus. So you put in £4,000 a year and the government will give you £1,000. It also relies on some fairly ambitious investment returns, but they are based on real figures. So we factored in 10% a year growth rate. Um, which is based on what the MSCI World Index, so an index of global stock markets, has delivered over the long term, minus some fees. Um, so it is based on a real life example, but 10% obviously for some people will seem quite a lot. Uh, so we remodeled different um, version of the figures based on 6% growth, which people might be a bit more comfortable with. Um, and in that instance, if you're starting at age 22, you need to save £249 a month. Um, if you're starting at age 30, you need to save £464 a month. And if you wait until 37, your monthly amount goes up to £820 a month, which is actually obviously quite a lot. That is quite a lot, isn't it? I guess if you people think might not about be able to afford that. Yeah, I think oh, I, I always I always get this issue when you see um, <clears throat> this idea that yes, you can become a millionaire, and clearly you've just given examples that it is achievable if you've got a really good savings habit. I think some people might just get put off by the thought of it. You know, it's 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 large amount of money, isn't it? If if the later you start, the much more you need to put aside. I wonder if it's perhaps better to focus on um, just really encouraging people to have a good savings habit, no matter how much they start with. Because, but to me, this does. I think we might have our first podcast fight, Dan. Um, to me, this does, because if someone had told me at age 22 that if I put away £78 a month, I could become a millionaire, then maybe at age 22, I didn't have that amount of money, but I might have had £40 a month to put mm. away. And if I end up with 500000 when I'm 65, I'm going to be pretty happy with that. So I think it's more, you use that million pound figure because that's something that everyone thinks, oh, wow, that's a massive amount of money. But it's more to highlight the fact that if you start young and you get into that regular savings habit, you can get a really decent sized pot. And I would see that personally as quite motivational, even if I don't have that amount of money to put away. Sadly, I'm not 22 and I've missed the boat on many of these figures. <laughs> but I still find it quite motivational to think, actually, if I did eventually get around to setting up that regular direct debit and doing regular savings and putting that money away each month, 
on on payday so you don't notice it's gone out then then i could be really rich yeah well okay um so i I definitely agree with you on the um the idea of using direct debits to to get to get into this savings habit. And I think that's something that people um, don't do enough of. And I think it obviously comes down to being very organised and disciplined when you get paid every month, isn't it? So you need to um, almost sit down and, and build yourself a nice spreadsheet and say, you know, this is what my bills will be. This is what I know that I'm going to put aside for savings and this is what I've got left over. Um, set up a direct debit. And then, you know, you get used to it, don't you? That, that's, that, that's, the tr- that's the key. And I think a, a lot of people perhaps... Um, sadly, you know, they're not taught these things at school. Um, more should be done to try and help people. I certainly don't see the, the banks don't seem to really want to sort of give basic guidance on how to manage your money. So, uh, you know, it's up to the individuals themselves to try and learn or get, get someone to show them. Yeah, and then I think a lot of it probably ends up falling on the parents and, and you rely on your parents, I guess, at that age to, to advise you to put that money away. And if parents aren't aware of that or aren't big savers themselves, then that kind of misses out on a whole other generation of it, doesn't it? Mm. Well, what's, you know, but if, if you haven't got much money, there are um, there are other things that, the, uh, that you, know, you can get help, can't you? So the government will match... Um, so there's some new figures, aren't there, at the moment that are talking about how, how many people are taking part in these sort of, um, you know, the, the lower income earners in, in, in saving schemes. Yeah, so the government launched, and I think Tom has been working on some stuff on this as well, but the government launched their Help to Save scheme, which is intended for low income households. So if you're on working tax credit or receiving universal credit, and you basically get a 50p bonus for every pound that you save over a four year period. So it's a, a good scheme and you get you have to save that money over four years you get a bonus after two years and another one after four years um, and you can get a maximum of £1,200 in bonus money so it's a really good scheme for those lower income households um, you can put the money in and take it out so it's not tied up like it is in some other accounts um, but some new figures came out last week that showed that the take up of it has been pretty low and I think probably what we were thinking at the time is if you haven't got much money then then you're not going to be saving because you don't feel like you've got money to spare yeah and then yeah. maybe it's slightly unrealistic to think that people that are on universal credit those low-income households have spare money to be able mm. to save each month yeah i'm saying if you if, if you if you've got if you've got out then you've got out mm. so um you can offer people as big a bonus as you want for saving if you've got no money to save whatsoever then i think that's that's the point that came across i think in in those figures a good scheme but difficult for people to take advantage of it when they've just got they're struggling to make ends meet from from week to week i also think that publicity of it has not been massive it's not been no. advertised really anywhere i haven't seen any no, I, haven't, or, or publicity well, it, of it, I think it was so. it was a classic um a classic one where the there was a big government press release before i think it was the 2016 budget and you had david cameron quoted on it and george osborne if anyone remembers those two um, and they were saying this was going to be a big saving scheme that's going to encourage loads and loads of people to save more money. And obviously, in reality, because of the people it was targeted at, it was never going to be that successful. Yeah, so around 65,000-ish people have used it. Um and they've got a combined bonus of 6.5 million. But at the, at the time that it launched it, the government said that 3.5 million people for, could benefit from it. So there's quite a wide gap between yeah, the number so of people that would be effectively eligible for it and the number that have actually used it. <laughs> and so another topic we want to talk about this week is once you reach retirement, um, you've kind of got a decision about how you're actually going to use mm-hmm. the money that you've saved up over your life. And I think one of the key things is, is whether to take the tax-free cash straight away or save it for later on. So, Tom, I know you've been doing some research into this. 
is there uh, a magic answer or is it all depend on each no so there, there, is, there isn't um, there isn't a magic answer unfortunately um, I'd love there to be one I think um, so one of the issues that, um, that I've been thinking about and we've been thinking about um, in the in the team is um, the extent to which people rush to take their pensions tax-free cash so this is one of the one of the few things I'd say about pensions that ev- most people really understand and really appreciate so you get to age 55 and you can take 25% of your pension as a cash lump sum without paying any tax on it that's a really attractive benefit of saving in a pension and I think as a result certainly the FCA research at the Financial Conduct Authority the regulator of um, the, the the City of London um, suggests that um, most most people who enter drawdown, so that's people who keep their money invested and take an income in retirement, they do so purely to access their tax-free lump sum. And sometimes they won't think about what they're doing with the rest of the funds. So there's this sense that people are reaching the point of 55 when they get the money and just taking the cash, tax-free cash out and perhaps not thinking about what they're doing, what they're doing with it or why they're taking that Decision. So we were thinking about some of the reasons why perhaps that wouldn't necessarily be the right thing to do and what would happen if people did different things. So obviously people might, so perfectly legitimate reasons to take your tax-free cash would be, um, for example, if you want to pay down some high-cost debts, if you've got kids going to university, and that's something you guys have talked about on previous podcasts, um, if you've got an elderly, elderly relative going into care, or... Clearly, the, the, the money is yours and it's there to be spent how you want. So if you want to pay for the, to do up your house or to go on holiday, then those are legitimate reasons. But the, the, the important point is to make a plan for the money. And so the risk, if you don't make a plan for the money, is that you just take that money out of your pension, perhaps because you don't trust pensions, which a lot of research has shown. Perhaps you think because you, again, this is fairly legitimate, you'd think that a future government might come along and say, actually, you're not allowed, allowed tax-free cash anymore. So you go, actually, I'll whip it out now because then at least... I've got the money, but the danger is if you do that and then just, say, stick it in a bank account paying 0% interest or even in a, a cash ice that doesn't pay very much money, then that mon- then, then your, that tax-free cash will lose its spending power over the long term. And actually, if you'd left it in the pension and then allowed it to grow, so say if you delayed it from age 55 to 65, then you might be able to get a serious amount of extra tax-free cash over that period of time. So we did some very basic numbers, so looking at someone who had a £100,000 pension fund age 55. So the first person takes out the 25%, so they get 25 grand, shove it into a bank account, don't get any money from it, and don't think about that money. If they'd left it for 10 years to 65, so say a lot of people obviously will still be working during that period, don't actually need the money, and they'd enjoyed, so 4% investment growth after charges, fairly standard level of investment growth, then the tax-free cash they could get would have increased to £37,000. So that's an extra £12,000. Obviously, that's growth slightly above inflation. But if, in the alternative scenario, they just left it in a bank account, then that's, a, that's a genuinely an extra £12,000 they'd have in tax-free cash simply by being patient. Now... That's not to say that everybody should do this. Clearly, a lot of people have reasons to take their tax-free cash, and that's perfectly legitimate. But the important thing is to think about why why you're doing it before leaping to make that decision. Um, And there there are also uh, another clear reason for leaving your money um, in a pension is um, IHT. So uh, pensions are now very generous from a, a death benefits perspective. So if you um, if you die before age 75, then your entire fund can be passed on to your beneficiaries free of any tax whatsoever. If you die after 75, then it's taxed at your beneficial, beneficiary's marginal rate, so in the same way as income. Whereas if you take the tax-free cash out, then it could be, if you, and you don't put it into another tax wrapper, then it could become part of your estate. And if your estate's worth more than 325 grand, then it could be subject, subject to 40% 
um, IHT. So like I say, it's not to say people shouldn't take their tax-free cash, but it's just to pause and think about what you're doing before you do it. Sorry, that was quite a long That was, but I'm chat. still with you. I have a, <laughs> I've got a novice pension question, though. Ooh, okay. So if you take your 25% tax-free lump sum and then your pot grows, mm. can you reassess what that 25% is, or is that decision done so, and gone? No, I'm afraid not. So one, 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 of the, one of the issues that came out in the FCA's uh, Retirement out- Outcomes Review, so this was its big response to the Pension Freedoms launched in... Um, Launched in April 2015, was that um, people the the decision to take your tax-free cash is based on you deciding where your money's going to go. So if you decide you're going to buy an annuity, then you've got to decide at that point in time whether you want to take your entire tax-free cash, and that's it. So if you're going to draw down and you decide you want to, so you, if you allocate your money into drawdown and you take your 25% tax-free cash, then that's it. So you get that moment in time to take it and there's no coming back. However, there is another income option for people if they don't want to make that decision but do want to take some income from their fund. Now, this is a beauty. You're going to like this, Laura. It's an uncrystallised funds pension lump sum. What? I oh, fell asleep. You? <laughs> I think that's the longest you've ever stayed awake while I've been talking, so I'll take it. Are you FPLS? Now, don't blame pensions providers for this. This is HMRC's creation, unfortunately, but it is a useful option for people. So rather than going into something like draw down where um, you take all of your tax-free cash at the start and then you take all your other money when, as and when you want to take it and leave your money invested. With uh, with UFPLS or an ad hoc lump sum, let's call it, yeah, that's um, much better. you take little chunks from your fund and 25% of each chunk that you take out is tax-free with the rest tax in the same way as income. So that can be a useful way, A, to allow some of your, the rest of your pot to grow, including the tax-free cash. Um, element and B, it can also be a handy way to manage your tax bills as well. So if a quarter of every withdrawal coming out is free of income tax and the rest is tax as income compared to the entire withdrawal being tax as income, you could potentially save some money over the long term. So there are other options out there with horrible, complicated names, but I think the the key thing is to understand all those options and to and to weigh them up and not just to rush in to get your tax free cash just because it's there. Because there's there's certainly no sign that any future government is going to take away that promise i mean god i'll say that and someone will come away and do it now but it shouldn't happen and you wouldn't think any government would do that because frankly it would be incredibly unpopular it's very complicated isn't it i mean it's, it, it's, it can be yeah yeah i, th- I think i think that one of the issues is that it, there's, there's there's all this terminology that makes it feel more complicated than actually it is i think i think one of so one of the issues that the fca um, raised as part of this big consultation that it did was the issue of if you decide to pick a product, you've got to take all of your tax-free cash out at once. So what they want, the government, the government hasn't done this yet, partly because they've been distracted with other things, I think. But what they wanted to do was decouple that decision. So say you could go into drawdown, for example, but that wouldn't mean that you have to take all your tax-free cash at that point in time. So there is there's a, there's a, de- there's a demand to try and make some of this stuff easier. I understand like the, the, a lot of the, the, the language and the terminology is quite complicated, but there's lots of options. And I think if you sit down and go through with them, I mean, ideally, if you can with a financial advisor, and actually most of them are reasonably straightforward. It's just a case of getting your head around some quite complicated terminology at times. We've oh. all got time for Tom to teach us before we retire. Yeah. It's a good thing that's all out of the way, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to go and take a headache pill after this. So. <laughs> Oh, we were having so much fun earlier. Well, we? <laughs> Have you got any more any more funny excuses, Dan? Or? No, no. Um, I'll think of something good. Yeah. No, I mean it is. Is all joking aside? I mean these pension rules are. Mm. Um, it it does show that you know you. 
guess it will take a little bit of reading is definitely necessary before you make any decisions, yeah. isn't it? So. And, not, and, not don't, and I think the, the, the key is don't be scared by a lot of this terminology. There's loads of great resources out there. So there's uh, the, you know, the pension advisory service providers. There's lots of people who are increasingly trying to say things in simpler ways. And it's just sometimes just a case of if you can get on the internet and do a little bit of reading around and you can find it. A lot of, a lot of these things will sound complicated. But in, in reality, they're just explaining something that's quite a, a simple and useful thing to do. Okay, good. And before we go, Tom has a super fun pensions fact. I do, To yes. close out the show. I'm yeah. excited. Not, not just a fun fact, but a very short, very fun quiz Ooh, like as well. Quiz. All Love it. about the state pensions. So today, um, March the 6th, is the first day since the modern state pension system was introduced that people will have a retirement age over age 65. So the age of 65 and three months kicks in today now clearly women previously had a retirement age of 60 that was equalized and now it's going up so 65 and three months it's going to go up to 66 67 68 and then who knows how far it'll go in the future but that's the plan at the moment so i thought it would be extremely fun to have a little quiz on the history of the state pension now i, I know like there's this been... is misselling extremely fun and pensions but okay <laughs> well look, i know i'm game lot, i know there's been a lot of tension today so i thought <laughs> i would ratchet that up by creating a head-to-head quiz there are three questions so there will be a winner so in what year was the first state pension paid in the uk so that's not the first modern state pension, the first ever state oh, pension okay. payment. Oh, okay. Um, okay, I'm going to go for 1931. 1928. Okay, Dan is closer. It was actually 1909. Wow. wow. 1909. Um, some facts about that. We're going to get in there as well. Um, so in 1909, the state pension age was 70. What was life expectancy? Uh, so people at age 70, they were expected to live for about nine years. One in four people lived to 70, so it was very much just an emergency payment. It was five shillings a week um, when someone had an annual income of £21 a year or less, reduced to zero, where there was an income of uh, £31 or more, so it's complicated even back then. Um, And there was a higher pension of seven and six paid to married men. Wow, cool. Not Uh. sure why. Question two. In 1917... King George V sent the first telegrams to those celebrating their 100th birthday. How many telegrams were sent? This is a good quiz. Thanks very much. Well, because you didn't mention the word pension at all in that question. Um, Three. Wow, okay. Four. (laughs) What a horrible human being. (laughs) Um, Dan is unfortunately right. The answer is 24. Brilliant. Oh, that's way more than I thought. <laughs> so, and in, so in 2016, bonus point, how many were sent out in 2016? Dan can go first on this one. 537. 538. God, but you, you two really are following out. <laughs> it was actually 6,000. Oh. oh, I win. So, Laura, I'll, I'll give you a point there to keep it interesting. Thanks. Um, and in 2050, do you know what the estimate is for how many will be sent out in 2050? I'm going to give an extra point for this as well. Laura, you can go first. 12,500. 13,637. It's actually 56,000. Wow, sir. It just shows how people are living longer. There you one go. One of us might get one. There's something to One of us might. To. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know who my money's on. Tom, I think it's you. Yeah, good point. It's all that gravy. <laughs> 
Uh, a more modern state pension question to finish things off. What is the full flat rate state pension worth today? So that's in the 2017-18 tax year. And I want it on a weekly basis, please. I know it on an annual basis. And okay. I can't do the sum. Okay. So give me, give me an annual basis. 8,543. I don't think that's actually right. <gasps> it's 8,500 and something. You go, go for a weekly. 164. 164.20. Dan unbelievably has done it. It's actually £164.35. This is ridiculous. It's, it's, this quiz is it, stupid. <laughs> it's probably the least... I mean, it, went re- it really didn't go as I hoped it would because Dan has been so conniving in all of his <laughs> answers. I feel like you knew none of those, and yet you answered most of them closest, but not really that close. No, no, I, I knew them all. I knew them all. So. This is the final episode of the podcast. <laughs> Dan and Laura never spoke again. I think it's good to experiment with things, and yeah. this experiment may have gone horribly I thought it was, well. was going to work, but actually very much did not. Well, Laura did email me yesterday to say that secretly there's going to be a quiz, and it's to do with World War II. She misled me. <laughs> You drew your own conclusions. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much for listening this week. As ever, you can send any thoughts or ideas you have to podcast at ajbell.co.uk. See you next week. Thanks. Thank you. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. The podcast talks about various money issues. Just don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. You should also recognise that how an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future and that tax rules apply.